everybody, welcome to Film House. It is the week of January 20th. Not an important day at all in America. <laughs> um, <laughs> and today we're talking about WandaVision and Muppet News. Coincidentally, I'm the host. We're talking about a, a bunch of other movie and news stuff too. James and I are here as always. And today we are graced with the beautiful presence of Rooster Teeth's John Reisinger, also the host of the what is it? You'll describe it better than I will, John. But real it's the canon. real, the real canon, and it's yeah. a. It's no, a, actually, a I, podcast. It's, it's yeah. What what do you think the real canon, our new podcast from Rooster Teeth, is about, Elise? I think that sometimes on pirate ships they would have a f- f- faulty like faux, hollow cannons that they would put up to scare the other ships. But this is you know this is a nautical historical podcast. Just, you know, it says, here's what you thought you knew about the plunderers of yore. Yeah. <laughs> but I, John Reisinger, am here to tell you, no, pirates, they didn't have those. Yeah. Is that what yeah. it's about? The things that I'm an expert about the most are the X-Men, Pokemon, and pirate lore. That's that's my areas of expertise. And uh, mm-hmm. and I figured it was time for the world to know all, all of that and be told that in a podcast form. No, it's not that at all. Uh... <laughs> Uh, it, the Real Canon is a nerd culture deep dive podcast with myself, um, but more importantly, with uh, my co-host, Charles Pulliam Moore, who is a uh, journalist who covers all of that um, for io9. Um, and uh, he, he we brought him in and he is, in my opinion, the real star of the show because Charles not only is uh, learned and charismatic with everything he talks about with this subject, but he also dishes out perspectives on uh, these stories and characters that we are consuming and that we love, like all the MCU stuff, anything from DC, the cartoons that we adore, just a lot of these. These no, no, and, and gaming, we cover gaming. Our pod episode oh. covered the Miles Morales uh, video game as well as Miles Morales as a character. Um, and so, yeah, uh, Charles is, is just a chock full of wonderful takes and new perspectives on these things. And I'm mostly there just to like, listen to him. So you're um, also, you're discounting yourself. You're a wealth of knowledge about pop culture, especially comics. I know you to be a aficionado of. Yeah, we, we, uh, that's why we wanted to actually start the first episode, uh, covering WandaVision because, uh, with everything that the MCU ended on and then everything that they were teasing WandaVision to be and even in the first two episodes we got to watch he actually got to see a few early uh there's so much that WandaVision has potential for that anybody who has like read you know any of the source material that it could be based on uh would be able to you know touch on we wanted to kind of like bring the audience into that conversation and be like hey we don't the nerds who go to the comic store and read you know uh house of m or the visions or anything like that aren't the only ones who should have get to know this here's what might be happening here's the context of like scarlet witch in general as a character because she's still so mysterious and so is the vision so mysterious in the mcu they really haven't gotten their limelight moments very much um as far as uh, a lot of development goes and so this is that opportunity so First episode is all about WandaVision. It's out now on all this, all places you watch podcasts. And uh, we invite you to come along with us and enjoy the ride. Cool. And I don't want to talk your ear off about WandaVision. I always say, oh, WandaVision. But James mm-hmm. and I, we did watch the first two episodes that came out as of this recording. Uh, and we have some feelings, opinions, thoughts. 
Yeah, it I, was... I'm curious about yours too. The 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 thing that comes to my mind first, which stuck out to us, was the casting and the way that you know they were able to transition these characters and personalities to these sitcom worlds in this really fantastical, you know, hyper surreal world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I've always been because he he is a a, a a broader catalog that I've participated in more. I've I've been a Paul Bettany fan for a long time. I loved him. I, I think he's ever since seeing him in uh, Knight's Tale, uh, uh, you know, naked. Uh, I was drawn. Legion, of course. <laughs> uh, and Legion. That's just a great one. Uh, mm-hmm. Who did Preach? Was priest, he Priest? Yeah. I've was seen. I mean, I've seen them all. I think he's. I think he is the titular priest. He's titular um, priest. Yeah, uh, love him, but I love that the the show also is now getting to showcase like uh, Elizabeth Ols- Olsen's range, um, yeah. which is which is deep in my opinion and 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 magical. Um, I love uh, watching her go through every emotion on the spectrum in an, in these episodes because she's both participating in these sitcoms but also processing what this is what's happening in this reality that's going on. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, you, you see it all on her face. You see it all in her eyes. And it's, it's part of what got me hooked Their Their chemistry in general is what is, in my opinion, going to continue to drive this show above and beyond even just the mystery of it. Yeah. For me, this is the first time I've cared about the two of them. Mm. Interestingly Same. enough, I, I think, I think that Scarlet Witch has kind of been a fun character in the MCU. I think that like, you know, they've alluded at some of the, limitless possibilities of her powers and like, you know, especially civil war and, and a little bit in infinity war. But for the most part, she's been pretty relegated to a side character. Um, and then her relationship with vision, I feel like vision is almost even worse. He's I feel like he's been around in several movies, but like every time he shows up, people talk about how, how it, there's so much dialogue about how important vision is. Yes. And then he like slips on a banana peel and he's like yeah. out of the fight for like most of it, you know? It's never shown. So it's never it's never really shown. Like in Civil War, he's like, here comes Vision, and he fires a laser that misses and hits his own guy. Like that's <laughs> that's what he does in every single time. And he's supposed to be this like perfect being. Um, or people talk about him being a perfect being. Um, this is the first time that I've like seen them and Honestly, in terms of the hierarchy of the shows that they were playing at MCU shows, I was like, well, nah, I hope it's stylized because I don't think I'm going to buy into the really relationship or characters. But I'm now I'm all in on them. This is the Same. these are the moments that I really wanted to see from them to establish why I should care about them caring about each other and couching it in the framework of like these old TV land sitcoms is like is so smart. It like because you know you think about Lucy and Desi and you're like oh my gosh like what a relationship you know you know Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore all these all these things like oh my like yeah you can't imagine the two of them not being the perfect couple or whatever yeah. and it's, so it's created it's an intimacy way. that was uh that was not yeah they they tried to create that intimacy in and I feel like they did succeed to a degree although it it seems to have land, not landed as well with you James but the the intimacy they created at the beginning of of Infinity War uh, yeah because you know yeah. they they and they wanted to build that up and 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 a, a payoff in the end with her having to uh, uh sacrifice him destroy um, him destroy mm-hmm. him and that kind of thing and so they they wanted that but yeah the sitcom environment allows for a lot more intimacy cuteness mm-hmm. uh uh even just like 
you know, warmth between them that you now buy into. Yeah. I mean, it allows for so many winks, you know, so many Mm -hmm. winks at the camera. And I, like James, did not really care about them. Uh, There's a there's a huge age difference between Elizabeth Olsen Olsen and Paul Bettany in real life. So I always kind of thought it was like, oh, it's a little strange that Marvel's like, let's pair them together. I know. And, you know, he's an android and she's a witch, but still. Um, but they do have like, have really, really great chemistry together and you don't get any like weird vibe. And I really love that she especially is holding her own in doing all this character work now in these sitcom parodies. Like Mm -hmm. you wouldn't think it like Catherine Hahn coming in there. I get it because she's so seasoned and there's a reason why in, you know, how to lose a guy in 10 days, she's one of the two best friends, but she gets a scene where she gets to do her whole thing as the fake therapist and whatever, because Catherine Hahn has always been a, a queen. Han, Han and is a, a comedic is a performer. Yeah. She, yes. would, we just, would we describe this as a Hanassance? <laughs> it, she never left. She never oh, left. Okay. Okay. If you've been following the right channels, she's never left. Uh, so I, I, totally totally get her thriving and i guess i'm you know reading theories and stuff and i see what people are speculating about her character uh well she's she's gonna be she's uh i mean she's called uh uh agnes in the show yeah which uh, agatha a lot yeah a lot of us have to assume is a is a notion is a nod towards agatha the the mother witch that basically raised and taught uh wanda all of her witchiness powers and that kind of thing and and has kept with like uh agatha also babysat uh uh and nannied her two children that wanda made um and so yeah i i'm so i when as soon as i saw that han was a cast i was like great because she is just energy incarnate Uh Mm uh-huh yeah i i would i'm curious what do you guys because the reception i feel like has been kind of two 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 kinds it sounds like the three of us are really enjoying the show. I know that I am. I'm I'm loving it. But I will acknowledge that while watching it, I was thinking there are going to be a lot of people who are conditioned for the standard MCU fare that are going to watch this and go, what? Like, why am I watching an old sitcom? Yeah. Um, yeah. And because, and like, honestly, Per episode, uh, spoilers for anyone else, for anyone who hasn't watched or whatever, there's only about 90 seconds, maybe tops per episode that seems to allude to some sort of grander plot. Some sort of grander thing is at at play. Everything else is pretty genuine in world. Yeah, that was my not criticism, but watching those first two episodes, I wish that it leaned harder into feeling creepy or weird or the unsettling nature of obviously what we know is underlying the surface. And I'm sure it's going to ramp up and get into that more and more as the series goes on. It's just establishing it so that we can get that little glimpse. But then I'm like, well, I want, I'm bought in already. You can give it to me. I'm, I get it. Um, but yeah, James, I, there's no action sequences. There's a magic show though. There's a very broad, but I mean, you just think about how broad the MCU audience is. There's a reason the movies make billions of dollars and like are basically seen by every single person on most of the planet. And it's because of this broadness, this broad appeal that they have. And this one is so niche, probably the most niche thing that I think that they've ever done. Even more than Ragnarok is like, okay, well, it's a little weird because it's like a flashy comedy. But like this one is way more niche than that. And Again, for me, I kind of love it because you can see the first one is like 50s 
then 60s, and then by the end of the second one, we're moving into 70s Color. sitcom. Mm-hmm. Like you're, we're moving through the era, and to me, that feel that's momentum for me. That is all I need to be seeing is that there's a forward motion happening. We're heading towards something. And anytime you're heading towards something, to me, that is like a train out of control. It's great. Well, it's <laughs> fresh, but it also, it's it's tension building, right? Like, yeah. you may not know what it is. I, I think, for, I think, oh, go ahead. There is a pacing to media nowadays that, you know, is, is easily coined as slow burns. Mm-hmm. And I get it. Some people really just don't have the i don't know a patient seems like a bad way to put it but they just don't have the desire to to give it the time they kind of you know mm-hmm. come to these shows with expectations and yeah mcu has has taught you to expect a certain pace a certain uh, amount of satisfaction that you should immediately get um you know that's a little bit you know popcorn eating style movie making uh but like you said, I uh, James, I, I I agree. There was like there was plenty enough progression for me. I like the slow burn. I like the mm-hmm. slight creepiness, and it. But I I don't think it would have worked without uh, Vision and Wanda's uh, uh, you know charisma together and and their mm-hmm. chemistry more so mm-hmm. uh, that kept you just endeared to them the whole while and and even like buying into their little wacky antics like by the magic show where wanda is trying to keep vision you know from revealing himself like mm-hmm. i thought that was adorable and and and, yeah. and and a great nod to the general theme of wanda trying to create normalcy amidst mm-hmm. the fact that she is a witch and a robot married together yeah. um and so but i think it's still it's still to me is going to be holding back just slightly because it's a disney plus property it's like james said it's appealing to this wider audience it's not going to go there's you know in terms of like the duality of the show doing its sitcom vibe and then where it could go it's not going to go like legion lengths and i'm not talking about the paul bettany blockbuster Mm -hmm. i'm talking about like the show legion it's not going to go i don't think it's going to go that far in the other direction Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. which w- it would be cool if it did. Cause then it'd be like, Oh damn Marvel, yeah. you went for it. But mm-hmm. that's a whole I, other thing. I think something else that helps that both of you are, are basically, it's like, it's also really good sitcom. It is. Yeah. Like it's, I know it's a medium that has kind of like fallen to the wayside recently. Um, but like you can go back and put on basically any single episode of like Dick Van Dyke or I love Lucy and be like, this is really good. Like, <laughs> This is really good. If you don't have like the attention tolerance that a lot of people do in this day and age, like it's like it's really well written. Like every single episode has a lesson and like there's like always something to walk away from it. And these two episodes have been really good examples, not just parodies, but like examples of those sitcoms. And I think that's key too. is is like if every single one is going to be like a genuine really good reflection of like what those sitcoms were of that time. I'm like, I'm just, I'm drooling just thinking about that, you know? John, do you have predictions for where it's going? Yeah, we, we actually get into that a bit with the, with the, the episode for real canon, because part of the conversation we have in the real canon and why we call it the real canon is that it's, it's a constant uh, discussion about the canon of all these things. Cause there's, not only multiple iterations of these characters throughout, you know, all of media, you know, this is not the first time we've seen Scarlet Witch in media. It's not the first time we've seen Vision. We've seen them in cartoons and we've seen them in, in the comics themselves and everything like that. Um, 
but then it's also the the canonical talk that the fandom actually gets to have and 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 projects onto these characters and even participates in the evolution of these characters in the first episode the pilot episode we just posted to the Roosty site for the real canon we talked about Miles Morales and and you can't avoid talking about the fact that Miles Morales his 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 uh creation partially comes from Brian Michael Bendis seeing Donald Glover dressed up as Spider-Man in campaign to play Spider-Man, but failing the campaign and eventually just kind of uh, getting to nod to that in an episode of Community. But Brian Michael hmm. Bendis saw that and he's like, I could, I, I want to see that story. Good mm-hmm. news, I'm Brian Michael Bendis and I can make that happen. Thus, yeah. then Miles Morales happens. So like a fan, Donald Glover, creates a rift that has that has permeated throughout so much now Mm -hmm. and so uh in the real canon we do spend each episode talking about what our canon is for these characters and with a show like this that involves even just predictions of the show and my predictions really lie around the fact that this is a this is a bubble reality created by wanda uh Mm -hmm. With multiple definitions of what that could be, I have my specific definition that I'll now tease. You have to go watch the episode to see what my specific definition of that bubble is. It's a reference to a specific uh, uh, thing that happens in a comic that's not a WandaVision comic, but because MCU creators love to take their scalpel and pull from other uh, titles and then incorporate that into another title, I think they're doing that. Specifically Mm. now that they have a bit more... Uh, range to play into X-Men stuff. I think there's an X-Men thing happening here that is happening to WandaVision that is going to be amalgamated into the two. The two sources that I know everyone keeps or has talked about with WandaVision is the Visions comics, which I read a few years ago and were excellent. And then House of M, which I'm not familiar with. James, you're more familiar with it. I Mm -hmm. see why people compare it to the Visions, though... There's some loose themes, and of course, I, like it's it's the vision brought to a yeah. suburban setting and trying to blend in, yeah, but mm-hmm. not in not in the same way that they're blending in in the show. Obviously, he's red, and he's got a whole family of red androids that he created mm-hmm. uh, in this suburb. And the the thing that I kind of loved that is like hinted at, or at least I think hinted at in WandaVision is in in the visions. It's kind of just them trying to blend in. And he and his family, like, they're trying to push this perception of perfectionism that they can't. And they're getting, like, harassed. They're getting, you know, mm-hmm. targeted as as robots. Like, there are, like, and, like, they get called toasters and stuff, spray painted on their, like. And but then I thought, I was watching the first episode, and there's that whole toaster commercial. Like, the Stark, or is it in the second one, the Stark toaster? And I was yeah. like, is this supposed to be, like, an... an them you know a nod to the visions and mm-hmm. them getting called like toasters mm-hmm. so that i thought was fun yeah there's i don't know also, if that's the case there's also another source material that this is pulling from which is an old avengers comic back during like west coast avengers era where one and vision when they become a couple actually leave the avengers and go oh. and build a house together suburbia style and uh and that's where uh, her, their two kids are made is in that era. Oh. That's where Agatha comes and nannies the oh. kids in that house. And so it's uh, they actually go to a suburban house and try to have a normal life. They try Damn. to be a normal couple. So there, that's another mm-hmm. piece of source material this could be pulling from. I just see, I've never heard, I haven't seen anyone sourcing that. I just hear James going, House of M. 
I don't say House of M. <laughs> I know and you the don't. The only thing about House of M <laughs> is the fact that that she basically causes a massive rift that allowed them to reboot a bunch of, a bunch of storylines and a bunch of character arcs. Um, but but yeah, so just House of M is just like, hey, by the way, we're showing off the limitless potential of this character yeah. that generally gets relegated to conjuring purple beams or whatever. You Hex know, bolts. So. Hex bolts, that's right. <laughs> that's what they, that's what they um, always called them, ambiguously. But yeah, they, they later kept uh, buffing Scarlet Witch even more and more. And House of M was mm-hmm. like one of the, uh, the Avengers disassembled story, which is where she basically kills and demolishes the Avengers that leads into House of M is mm-hmm. that buffing of Scarlet Witch where it's like, oh, she can reshape reality, which they haven't shown in MCU, you know? They yeah, kind of she, like they they showed her a little bit of that being able to not only destroy an Infinity Stone but hold back Thanos while she does it. Like mm-hmm. they 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 flexed her then a little bit. But that was about it. Yeah. yeah, it was she a character that sort of came out the gate and it was clear that it was it was known what this character was and her powers. Was was she kind of a character that over the decades isn't, got isn't figured she, out? Isn't her thing? Is she she she? Isn't her power? She's a mutant, right? So she technically has mutant powers, right? Well, she's Magneto. She's not anymore. So yeah, this, right. But Didn't... when she, but you're talking about like where these characters originated from, right? Like, yeah. so she started. She was the Scarlet. She was Witch Magneto's daughter. And Magneto's daughter, but wasn't it? She just controlled odds. She yeah. was like, my powers, I manipulate odds. So yeah. like, I can make it always roll a six. But then they're like, well, what does that even mean? And how do we use yeah. that? And then it became hex bolts. And then it became, oh, well, I manipulated the odds of you being able to float in yeah. the air and me- blow you up. You know, like, so like it was these it's very, baby steps of stuff. It's very common that they, you know, they develop a lot of characters in these comic books over the years to give them more specific powers. But Wanda was specifically one that they were super ambiguous and weird about from the beginning like mm-hmm. especially to introduce her alongside her brother which is the most easiest power to understand he's super fast yeah. like you get yeah. it it's got super speed and then wanda's like yeah everything you just said james and so yeah they they developed her more and and kind of bought into the more witchiness of her um and in fact she does a lot more witchiness as the years go on and even now current day she interacts with like Str- Dr. Strange a lot and everything like that. And in, in, in a recent storyline, she tried to, because of house of M, she took away the powers of everybody, but 198 mutants in the entire world. And so to try to make up for it in a modern one, she tried to go to, uh, uh, Oh, what was the, the Island nation of the mutants? Uh, Genosha. Genosha. She goes to there I mean, and tries, I don't know. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, uh, hold on. Let me. I just need to do this while I'm talking about this. There we go. Um, oh, nice. She goes to <laughs> she goes to Genosha, tries to do a spell to resurrect all these mutants to make up for it. But in te- and she messes up the spell. They all become zombies and everything like that, and it's a total problem. But she does magic, magic. Mm-hmm. We yeah. were playing some code names the other night, and it was so funny because James was just t- teasing John for his knowledge and the, the you know Something his wealth would come of, up organically and yeah, then John would in the go, conversation oh, that's like when this thing happens yeah. in the comic and then I would go whatever nerd and then say something that was almost even as much a deep cut yeah 
yeah. <laughs> like I, I mentioned, I mentioned that the vision is made from the synthesoid body of the original Human Torch, who was a yeah. robot in the World War II era with Captain America. And I said all that, but then like ten, you called me a nerd. And then ten minutes later, you say the name of that Human like, Torch, like, like oh, Jim Hammond. Oh, he's mentioned Jim Hammond over here, and you're like, <laughs> I never said Jim Hammond, you big nerd. <laughs> it was great. We were cracking up. We were all cracking up. So comic, good. comic people are almost. They're they're kind of like similar to the queer community in that uh, one, a lot of queer people do love comics, uh, but two, you don't, you can't tell a comic person until they reveal themselves because there's a very specific bit of information that you know you see. Oh, James, you you look like a, a normal you know gentleman who clearly likes to work out, and oh, I see you like video games. That's very cool. But it's until you say Jim Hammond, the name of the original Human Torch, like you're a comic nerd. You're a comic yeah, nerd. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, and comic nerds will they'll, they'll say they'll say a reference and then look at everyone else expectantly, like this is a common piece of information that you should know. Yeah. Um, as people that that lived with a comic well, it's like person, you put out cheese. But it's a trap, right? Yeah. And so then, so then I go, ooh, cheese, and I reach for it, and then it, it snaps down, and John goes, ha! Mm -hmm. Yeah. But then you might be wondering, how do the Muppet people show themselves? Um, and the answer to that is, we are just some of the most beautiful, you know, empathetic, joyful, spirited people on the planet. I'll tell you exactly how you know the Muppet people. It's because the new you were lonely as a child. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Is that what you were uh, going to say? No, but that's true. Um, <laughs> no, because Muppet News is so few and far between yeah. and so cherished, but not celebrated by everybody that whenever there is any Muppet News, mm -hmm. all the Muppet people just perk up like meerkats in uh, on social media. And they're like, well, mm -hmm. Muppets are coming now, to Disney Plus? What? I think mm -hmm. there's a climate where everybody's embracing the Muppets, which I love. because <laughs> <I, laughs> Nice. I love that because I think there, there's no gatekeeping with the Muppets, right? They're wonderful and they should be enjoyed. But I just want to know where all these fucking people were when I was a kid and and got made fun of for liking the Muppets. Especially I, as I, I got, fun you know, you. kids in my, in my elementary school, I like the Muppets, my primary school. So and and I, like, I never got it, you know? I, I don't think Muppets, I think to people like you and me, Elise, we assumed because they were popular and because Sesame Street very specifically was extremely popular and successful enough to just stay on the air for forever that mm -hmm. because we loved it so much we assumed that it was a universally celebrated and loved piece of media and it, as i grew older i realized that it was it was a, it was a just a very specific demographic of people that continue to hold on to this you know ip and watched Fra Fraggle Rock and 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 watched, you know, all the iterations of the mm -hmm. Muppet show and that kind of thing. And so it wasn't yeah, it was like sometimes like I thought everybody was like this, but it turns out no, it's just a bunch of us sad lonely yeah. nerds who really love and, that. And I don't know if you experienced this, but I got to a point where I was, you know, getting to age nine or ten and the Muppets, I guess be by being puppets, were starting to get seen as a as a baby thing. Mm -hmm. um yeah. so to like when it when really it's like no there there's just so much like depth and humor and i mean especially when you go back and watch the original muppet show which was not for kill children but it's it might be seen by some children because it's coming to disney plus now uh which is the exciting news you heard it here first you heard I it here first the, i broke the news here <laughs> no, <laughs> no, but yes, at least oh, during I, I remember when i used to 
I I had to rent. I had to check out Muppet uh, seasons from the library. So I watched a lot of my shows. You get free tapes mm-hmm. from the library. Mm-hmm. And Me I remember too. watching those. And um, there are plenty of moments. Uh, and I'm sad to admit this now as an adult. But I fast forwarded parts of the Muppet show because it got boring to me as a kid because i didn't get the reference oh, yeah. or the or the or the mm-hmm. actor because they had you know the, yes. it's so funny the the guest that they attribute to the success for the muppet show was a ballerina dancer a ballet dancer yeah. that uh was universally famous at the time and put the show on the map but now to this day i can't remember his name i don't remember who it was and he is the reason it's successful mm-hmm. i i do yeah i know his name uh, well, I can't it was like think some, of it. Some some Russian ballet dancer, but like the fact yeah. that they got they got him on the show. Oh my god, yeah. we should pay attention to this show. Yeah, yeah, when you're a little kid, you don't know John Johnny Carson <laughs> to no. to get this. Um, no. But I'm I oh God in in some of the best fucking news ever. Seasons one through five of the Muppet Show are coming to Disney Plus next month, February nineteenth, which is monumental because only seasons one through three were ever released to the public on in some kind of you know media that you could you could buy on dvd um and every few months i will still like search and see if what's ha- what was happening with f- seasons four and five because yeah. even one through three are tough to get now on dvd um but holy shit th- like it's i'm so excited i'm so happy i can't wait to relive this. I can't wait for new people to become indoctrinated to the Muppets. Um, it's so so exciting. I do have a I do have access to Muppets Tonight still, so I still have that. Um, That's good. But God, yeah. what a what an era! It's hard. It's so hard because you want to look at these like big conglomerate companies and be like, ah, but then you know. Disney without, without Disney Plus, you know, we wouldn't have these things yeah. accessible there is, to us. There is a small, very small benefit to certain things owning everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I mean, like, it's you know, very small, I got it. It's what everybody got excited about when Disney Plus launched was that it didn't launch with a bunch of original content. We were all going crazy for it. Like, like HBO Max is is a is I think a good example of something that kind of rides the line of more 50-50 of like really trying to launch with like original content you're gonna watch, but then also like all their back catalog and yeah. stuff. And full Whereas disclosure, Disney- we are owned by Warner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so. but I'm but like I use HBO Max more as an example, less because of our association with it, but more because I keep I use it's, it a lot. It's, it's it's generally one of the the platforms that I watch more of the original content than some of the other stuff. Mm-hmm. I, Netflix has turned into just like shilling out so much mediocre content that i just don't really pay attention to a lot of netflix's original stuff now but disney plus was just like we got a few original things here you know like mandalorian was basically what they launched with but here's all of darkwing duck here's gargoyles here's x-men the animated series here is all of every cartoon yeah the simpsons here uh here are the majority of the muppet movies and everything like that like they they did that they they dumped that on us and we're like okay we'll buy in Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which if it were, you know, not all owned by Disney in its entirety or Warner or, you know, Netflix or any of these things, that's when you get into probably situations that cause for only three seasons to be released on DVD because there's probably some sort of weird licensing thing yeah. that's causing it or whatever, you know, and so that's yeah. the kind of thing that does hold those up for people that want to just be able to have access. I don't know that in the long run, it'll be a great thing. But um, for no, us it can't. right now, it can't. really want to <laughs> really see four now. and five of, of the Muppets, you know, show like, yeah. it's kind of cool. Well, 
also like how Di- how Disney Plus had that Frozen 2 BTS doc, which as yeah. someone that hasn't even seen Frozen 2, I thought the doc was excellent. I really want I <laughs> want a BTS. We, we started, started it. it, but we I, I really want a BTS doc of how Disney Plus was able to broker this to get mm-hmm. all that Muppet show uh, syndicated and released because that mm-hmm. was a monumental effort to do, I'm sure. Someone went into a basement and like, it's here. I'm like, all right. <laughs> well, and, and apparently, like, we're getting, you know, up-resed quality of the episodes. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's glorious. That is a good thing, too. <laughs> Going back to what we were saying just about these, these streaming services and stuff, is that, like, they can't just scan. with Amazon Prime is probably out of the, the big ones. The only one that just goes, sure, scans whatever they receive from wherever they receive it. And then throws it up somewhere. So there's a lot of stuff that looks like garbage that you're like, what? It Like, this was something that is going to be at the bottom of a bargain bin in some sort of independent video store back in the 90s. And for some reason, it's on Amazon Prime scanned in at like VHS quality. But the rest of them are like, well, we don't have to. Number one, we don't have to pay to make anything. But we want to prevent churn on our platform. So if we release a press release and just spend even the slightest amount of money ingesting this at, at any sort of quality, then basically we get an original series. They get basically, they get five season, seasons of an original series, something that's going to draw Elise and John and myself <laughs> to Disney Plus, right? And feel like we need to keep our subscription so that way we can access these five seasons of The Muppet Show. And they didn't have to pay to make The Muppet Show. Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. so, you know... It's funny you say that about Amazon Prime. I use a, a website called Just Watch that does a really good job of aggregating all of the stuff that's available on all streaming services, and you can specifically see where you can stream something. And so it not only like uh, lets you know, like search for stuff, like I want to watch mm-hmm. Mission Impossible 2. Where is that at? Uh, you know, it's on it'll like tell Google, you. Google uh, Play <laughs> Library because I own them all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it also creates a timeline of things uploaded so you can you can select the streaming service that you pay for and then you can just kind of keep going down and see by day when things are released on these streaming services mm-hmm. what's new and amazon prime always it's like uh like 10 new things got added to netflix oh like two things got added to disney plus one to hbo max and amazon just added 56 new titles today <laughs> um and like the first four are movies that i've heard of and the rest is just garbage that's never seen the light of day that amazon just yeah. went yeah 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 just just throw it on yeah. Well, we it, it does work out in some cases. The other night, Elise and I wanted to just put on something to relax to, like something to unwind. And so we literally just went onto Amazon and searched 80s movies prime only. <laughs> and then it was just like, okay, I mean, but it brought up just like probably a hundred movies of like, I mean, okay, yeah, like like the Weekend at Bernie's or whatever, like things you're familiar with, Kentucky Fried movie and stuff. And then there's other <laughs> stuff that's like, what is like something that aired on television in the 80s, you know, 1985, and no one ever, no one's ever thought of since, you know, so. Yeah. It's cool. It's it's tough. I, I'm starting to have to draw the line with streaming services like NBC's Peacock I don't have. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, CBS, they have their, like, I just, I they can't well, do anymore. I mean, it was all about cutting the cord, right? You're not mm-hmm. no longer paying eighty dollars a month for a bunch of channels you didn't watch, and then you're. But like, now oh, I've got oh, twenty cords. But then if you have if you have ten streaming services, it kind of defeats the purpose. So yeah, but I mean that was like that was called a while ago, especially when 
it was it was it was it was called a while ago and then it very much became apparent it was going to happen when disney stopped renewing contracts with netflix because a ton of disney stuff yeah was on netflix not just like original content like the daredevil stuff and like that but also there's a lot of movies and those movies are loaned to these streaming services for a contract mm-hmm. length and then they can be you know extended like the office kept being extended uh, but when Disney was pulling out and everyone was like, oh, Disney is going to launch its own service. It's going to be Disney mm-hmm. Plus. Uh, it it was like, yep, we're all going to either have to pick the services that we like the most or we're going to be borrowing from each other because none of us wants to go back to paying, you know, $110 for a cable package. But to mm-hmm. have all these, you pay that. Yeah. Like, I want to watch Ted Lasso. But I don't want to pay for Apple TV because I don't need any, I don't need Apple TV. So yeah, yeah, especially when it's the one thing, when it's like, yeah. I, am I really going to get this for one show? Like, I don't think so. It, it all comes down it. to like whatever the catalog <laughs> can offer, and that's why like Disney Plus is a good example of like a catalog that has a lot. I mean, as a parent, my kids have been just just ravenously consuming so much of Disney Plus. It's paid for itself as a nanny. Yeah, you're gonna watch the Muppets with them. I hundred percent, hundred percent. We watch experience. Muppets together. Well, please take a moment uh, to hear a word from our sponsor. They are also very happy that John's gonna get the watch the Muppets with his kids. I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, we'll be right back. Are you unhappy with your smile? Because you don't have to be. Thousands of people have used Candid, the clear, comfortable, removable, and practically invisible aligners to help straighten their teeth, and now they love their smile. Just like my gal Sharon H. from Pittsburgh, who wore braces as a teenager, flash forward 30 years, she's got crowding on the bottom, teeth sticking out, she made the decision to move forward with Candid, and now Sharon has her groove back. Thank you, Sharon, for sharing your story about how you're happy now with your teeth. Candid is here to help straighten your teeth so you can fall in love with your smile too. Your treatment is prescribed and closely monitored remotely by a licensed orthodontist who's an expert in tooth movement. You'll have the same quality of care you'd get from an in-office orthodontist from the comfort and convenience of your own abode. And while other companies use general dentists, Candid only works with orthodontists. With Candid, the same orthodontist who created your plan is with you from start to finish, so you never have to wonder how you're doing. It's, you know, from the get-go with your teeth, they're sticking with you. The average candid treat is just, treatment is just six months. You'll start seeing results before then, and it costs thousands less than traditional braces. So become your best you. Start straightening your teeth today. Right now, you can save $75 on Candid's starter kit. Go to candidco.com slash filmhouse and use code filmhouse. That's candidco.com slash filmhouse, code filmhouse. F-I-L-M-H-A-U-S and take advantage of this limited time offer to save $75 on your starter kit. That's candidco.com slash filmhouse code filmhouse. Thank you, Candid. Thank you, sponsor, uh, for the lovely promotion as read by me. Uh, <laughs> you could just say it. You could just say money. Thank you, sponsor, for the money. Yeah, thank I appreciate you, it. for the money. Uh, <laughs> next up, uh, we'll have to figure out which streaming platform this will be coming to because it'll be a must watch. It's the Willy Wonka origin story we've all been waiting for. Wonka. Um, so this is this is a tightrope here because, of course, everybody hears that they're making a Willy Wonka origin story and then is like, fuck no. Why are we getting this? We've already gotten this in, in a way that and, and no one said, oh, we needed that. But then you look into the details and minutia of it and paul king from paddington is directing 
Uh, David Heyman, which if you like the Harry Potter franchise, he's producing it. Uh, Warner, our parent company, uh, Disclosure, is looking at Timothy Chalamet or Tom Holland to be in it. Because there are only you know? two young actors in all of Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, but then you, you, you tell me Paul King's involved and I'm like, damn, what are you doing to me, Wonka? I, I, in a world where we didn't <laughs> wow. have the Johnny Depp thing, I could be more excited about this. Like if we had skipped that and were and yeah. and had that much time between you know uh, Willy Wonka, you know the original, and now I could be a bit more excited. And I and I definitely would get bought in with like the Paul King news. I'm a Paddington boy. That's how I'm 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 from the cradle <laughs> to the grave. That's how I am. And, uh, you know, yeah, I like Chalamet and Holland. I agree. Let's let's like let's find more people. Uh, well, yeah. But again, we do live in a world where Johnny Depp did play Willy Wonka and did whatever that movie was. Uh, and so I'm kind I, well, of I'm a little burned important, out. More importantly, the film Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, right? Yeah. Included Willy Wonka's origin story. Yeah, it is yeah. a part of the film. And, it and, is. And so much so that people watched that movie and thought, eh, feels bloated compared to the original. So <laughs> so I don't understand why we would take some of the bloat of a film like that most people saw and went, take it or leave it kind of like yeah. vibe with it. Like, but most people said, I don't understand why they spent so much time talking about Willy Wonka's origin in this movie. It's like, like someone. I, it's, it's like someone. Yeah. Someone roasted a chicken, and then cut off all that unnecessary fat, and said we could make a movie out of this fat. That's yeah. Well, that and this movie, I guess, has been in development for a while because there was an entirely other, uh, now aged out uh, bucket of young actors that were being considered. You can say for bucket the role of boys. Of Just a bucket, yeah. of bucket of boys. Bucket of boys. <laughs> that were being considered for the role of Willy Wonka, but they dumped out that bucket of boys and they looked for a fresh bucket of boys. Well, I'm I'm shocked that it never got off the ground. This this to me screams. I I I hope that we are kind of nearing the end of an IP, a known IP that's garbage and has no worth is still more worthwhile than an amazing new idea. Um, and again, as you guys mentioned, if anyone can bring a yes glimmer of light to the to and see potential here, I believe Paul King can. Um, but that being said, I would be curious to think if Paul King went into a room and said, "I have this amazing new take on a Willy Wonka idea. I know it sounds crazy, studio executives, but just." let me take a swing at it because I really believe in this project or some studio executive said, what do we have flips through a bunch of things? W. Oh no. We're at the end of our alphabetical list of things we have. <laughs> Willy Wonka. What can we do with Will Willy Wonka? Is anyone interested? Put out the call. Paul King's agent calls out. Well, They're looking for Willy Wonka takes. Sure. I'll yeah. take it. Like, or know. this project's been practically dead in the water mm -hmm. and they saw what he was able to do with Paddington. Yeah, and offered him a ton of Some, money. Something and said, "Do this, that with Wonka." This doesn't seem like it starts from the creative. It starts from the executive level, and I'm really, really kind of over that process because 
I don't think we need a Willy Wonka film, personally. I don't think we need yeah. one. I think if we do have a great one, it'll be in defiance of all the odds. <laughs> sure. Yeah. It, it's, to, I guess, to, like, put a positive spin on it, it is, with Paul King attached, it's reminiscent of handing over these known IPs to a director that often has a very specific vision for these adaptations. Mm-hmm. Similar mm-hmm. to Denis Villeneuve being given Dune. Um, Dune is a buck wild weird movie in story in the first place that isn't mm-hmm. really celebrated a ton uh, by the broad spectrum of the audience. There's a very specific mm-hmm. Dune audience that likes Dune. Um, Blaine Gibson is now in that audience because he's crazy about yeah. it. Uh, yeah. But you give it to Denis Villeneuve and now you have me interested because I'm like, well, I love literally everything that Denis Villeneuve has done in the past, you know? So, and he is very much a vision based director that like, I'm going to mm-hmm. make Blade Runner 2049 the way I'm going to do it. I'm going to make Arrival the way I'm going to do it. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, it's reminiscent of that. And so, you know, maybe Paul King can pull off something that is just magical and endearing. I get that, and I'm not trying to squash on your enthusiasm because I completely agree with everything you're saying about like, oh, maybe, maybe they are. We are getting to the tail end of that IP quest phase, but what we're doing is instead of trying to make it this commercial thing, we're giving it to these auteurs and letting them run wild in it. I mean, that's Ragnarok. You brought it up. Yeah, and there's something. Sorry, I was just gonna say real quick. The only thing is that Dune is a time-tested novel. Like, it it is a (laughs) tome that everyone I've ever heard who ever picks it up and makes their way through comes out with glowing blue eyes talking about, like, how it has changed their perception on things. So I do understand that the only adaptation we've gotten of this thing is a crazy David Lynch, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of thing. (laughs) Misstep. Yeah. Which is 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 a wild movie, and I don't know how you could wrangle it, but I'm curious to see what what Denis does. I just think like you can at least make that argument and say like, well, this you hold up the book and you go, clearly there's something here. Look what it's done to everyone that's read it, and then you go, but the movie just has a reputation for Sting being half naked. So how can we make a movie that like lives up to what people are getting out of this book? Yeah, know? and to to agree with you and counter myself as well. Disney has been doing a really mediocre job of taking excellent movies, making live action versions of them that don't need to exist and, you know, stepping on the memory of them. So why not take an IP that was mismanaged and done poorly and try to redo it and redo it? Well, like, I feel like that that's something that we don't often do or we scoff at because we go, it was bad. Why would we re, you know, retread that, that, ground but then at the same time it's like no why don't we just do it better yeah i i wish that we were getting like black cauldron we get a new black cauldron or something not that black cauldron's a bad movie it's just so off type of everything else yeah kind of disney animation was doing and like there's clearly more there but it's like what if they Mm -hmm. were like we're doing a black cauldron 2d animated series or whatever yeah and it's gonna. We're gonna do it right this time. I think about Dark in Crystal. The, Dark the, Crystal's the perfect example. You know. Yes. Yes, it is. In the news of something that we don't need a, a rehash or remake of. Now Liam Neeson is saying that he's been approached by Seth MacFarlane and Paramount to reboot the Naked Gun franchise. I gotta tap out here. I gotta end, end the episode here because this. Sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. Finish your thought. I Liam Liam Neeson plans to retire from action flicks. So his thinking is, I should try to. Re- Step on the hallowed ground that Leslie Nielsen, comedic genius, did. Yeah. Well, but and he wants to do comedy. 
Uh, I mean, I will, I will say we have seen <laughs> Liam Neeson be very, very funny Does anyone in, else feel, in Life is Short. Does anyone else feel uncomfortable by the fact that Liam Neeson sounds too close to Leslie Nielsen? It's like basically <laughs> the same name. I don't know. That's I don't probably, like that. that that's probably that what it like, got him. How did that, is that part of the decision-making process? Well, I'm, that like, I'm sure the thinking is much like Leslie Nielsen was traditionally a serious actor and that mm-hmm. worked for him in his favor. Yeah. Le, you know, Liam Neeson, very serious actor. Mm-hmm. And so it might do the same thing. Yeah. But I got to tap out here. All right. You don't yeah, step yeah. on the king. You don't step it's, on the king. It's there's it's just very few uh, to even talk about the the Naked Gun reboot and just this this Wonka uh, retelling. It you, you touched on on it very well. Where it very rarely, if you grab something that was done really well and then do it again, do you add much to it? Uh, mm-hmm. Those aren't commonly pulled off. Ghostbusters is a great example. That was not pulled off. Like something that was already loved and considered a good piece of our history and then like you tried to do it again try to do it different and you 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 endeavored for something new but it just was like you're already setting yourself up for standards that are just not fair to you if you do that with something that was already you know for lack of a of, of a more real word perfected and 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 Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory was that that was that movie you know that was a that was a perfected mm-hmm. movie and then uh uh, old what's his face uh, Burton Tim Burton is like I can do it it's like you can't Tim Tim mm-hmm. we get it you think you can do it it's like I can do it and he, and he did it and then we're all like see this was weird and did not mm-hmm. add to you know the Willy Wonka verse yeah. uh, but Naked Gun is 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 was Perfect. successful it was successful I haven't rewatched it in a while so I can't say if it's aged well uh, I was just gonna say it has I mean okay. I rewatched it recently I mean comedy naturally doesn't always age fantastic so there I mean number one you're watching and you're going like hmm OJ Simpson's getting a lot of laughs at this. <laughs> like which is I mean for sure for sure for that aspect of things but like it's still a very funny movie and all the performances still hold up it's not like I don't feel like it has aged terribly. There's obviously cultural depictions, which are, are uh, unproductive and insensitive, but like not, it's not, doesn't focus necessarily on those aspects of it. And I would say 90% of the humor is on the ineptitude and silliness of Frank Drebin anyway, which those types of things are kind of like always going to be funny or at least always going to just be comedy, you know? Yeah. You watch an old Chaplin movie and it's just like yeah. Pink hanging Panther. onto the back of a bus. Like that's all it's ever gonna be is him hanging onto the back of a bus. So it just seems but weird naked, that you But Naked Gun at the very this. least was was well received and is still remembered as a positive part of the comedic history. Um Yeah. It's it, it it's like the same if like they start going and like they you know, they're remaking you know, like three amigos. Like I don't think you need to remake the three amigos. Mm-hmm. Like it was great. Leave it. Be funny elsewhere. Like actually make other comedy. I would say my fear is is exactly that. Is that if you're just constantly remaking these things, then you don't get new things for the next crop of people to come in and think might be worth remaking. As stupid as it sounds, you know, like kids that are growing up and watching the new Mulan. Like, I don't think that the experience is going to be the same for them as it was for us watching the original Mulan. You know, like I want I want people like next generation to have their own things like in even in, and speaking of next generation, completely 
unintentionally sidetracking myself, but I think the Star Trek kind of world is like perfect because you think about like, I think of Next Generation, but there's a whole previous group that thinks of uh, the original series. Shats. Right? Yeah. The, yeah. And so, and then, but then there's a Deep Space Nine, there's a Voyager, mm-hmm. like, like, and you can almost like timeline yourself depending on like when you were kind of flipping through the channels based off which Star Trek you saw the most of. And I'm okay with that. I'm totally okay with like us figuring out new ways. But when you're just saying we're doing this thing again, we're just we're making doing Picard again. And it's just, <laughs> yeah, I'm a Picard guy. Um, yeah. Cause I think that you can make a silly detective comedy with Liam Neeson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But just don't call it naked gun. Like what? Call it I know. Uh, no, gun. I think at least you've nailed it. Like, like I probably would have gotten excited about a dry detective comedy starring Liam Neeson. I'd be like, that sounds interesting. Because I don't even even think of Naked Gun, like I wouldn't immediately associate with that. I'd be like, detective comedy is just a genre. Like, that's great, do it. But they... Mm They think that, you know, by adding the Naked Gun name to it, it adds, you know, a brand recognition. But I think it's it, it adds, like, negative brand recognition for me. Because I'm like, no, yeah. you're good. Move on. It puts yeah. it puts me immediately on the defensive. Um, we've we've kind of run out of time this week. But, John, thank you so much for bringing your insight and humor to the podcast. You are a delight, as always. And I hope people go watch the real canon because they're just going to get this, but better and more. Yeah, because um, you'll you won't hear me as much. You'll hear Charles, who's even more uh, better <laughs> okay, at talking. Okay, we get it. Charles is good too, but He's you're good. good also. Get out of my head, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> um, and thank you, Cody RTD, and thank you, James. Of course, uh, I will leave you with this question, audience: Is the Young Rock the next Young Sheldon? <laughs> I'll let you think on that. I'll you stir on that. Hey, um, a, hit us up in the comments and let us, let us know. In the There's comments. no comments on this video. <laughs> There's absolutely zero comments on this video. Uh, How are there man. negative comments? I it says negative comments. <laughs> Why are there negative number? My comments are disappearing. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks guys, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.